That sound good. Well, we have come to the last Sunday in our sermon series, Worldview in Focus. We've been trying to answer the big eight questions that everybody in the world answers, and they answer those questions based upon their worldview, based upon the lenses through which they're seeing and interpreting the the world and the things around them. And today we're going to answer that last and final question, which is the question, what happens after I die? That's an important question. I think we can all agree on that. And so we want to see what is the biblical worldview? What is the biblical answer to that question, what happens after I die? Now, from God's Word, there's, there's two different ways to answer that question. There's the way that you answer that question for a person who, by faith, has put their trust in Christ as Savior. They've been saved. They've been redeemed. They've been born again. And there's a way that you answer that question for the person who has not put their faith in Christ, who remains in their sin and guilty before God. Now, now both the saved and the unsaved are going to depart this world. And let's put that word up there. They're each going to depart this world. We all, everybody in this room, has a departure date. There is a day, a month, a year when you are going to depart out of this world. There's no doubt about that. And I like that word depart because it has the idea that I am in a place now, but I'm going to be going to another place at some point. And I love how Paul uses that very word in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, he says it's even better. When I depart out of here, it's even better. And he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that's the body, if I'm to stay here, that means fruitful labor for me. I get to keep on serving God if I'm here. He says, but which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ because that's far better. I get that from Paul. I love serving you guys. I love being your pastor. I love everything about, well, most everything about that. But I would rather depart and to be with the Lord. That would be far better to be with him. As much as I love y'all to be with him today, the departure rate currently, by the way, in the world is 100%. Everybody's going to be departing out of this place. Currently in our country, the average departure age is about 76 years old. Now, the death rate is not quite 100%. Not everybody has died. We know two people that never died from the Old Testament, Enoch and Elijah. And the Bible also tells us there's another large group of people that also aren't going to die. They're going to depart from this world through the vehicle of the rapture. Now today we're zeroing in on that question, what happens after I die? So we're gonna try to stick to that for the saved person the person who's turned and put their faith in Jesus to save them from their sin. For that person, what is going to happen is going to happen immediately. And I want to emphasize that. It's going to be immediate. Their soul is going to depart from this world and is immediately going to enter into the presence of God, a place that the Bible calls heaven. Now, let me say, first of all, yes, we are created And we are created with a soul, not just a body, but with a soul. A person's soul is that invisible, immaterial, 
eternal part of them. That's, that makes up who they really are. When the body goes in the ground and begins to decay, the soul's not there. The soul for the believer is immediately in the presence of the Lord. The soul's going to last forever. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, hey, you, there's no reason for you to fear man. They might kill your body, but they can't kill your soul, right? That's Jesus just telling us your soul's who you really are. Your soul is the eternal part of you. See, we're not bodies that have souls. We're souls that have bodies. The immaterial, invisible part of us, that's who we really are. See, this is just the shell, what you're looking at up here. This is just the shell that houses the real me. This is just the encasement of the real me. In fact, the Bible compares our earthly bodies to tents like you would camp in. Hey, it's kind of fun to camp in a tent for a little bit. But then tents start really falling short of the ideal, right? The bugs get in, the rain gets in, it gets awfully uncomfortable. Tents aren't designed to be long-term dwelling places. Listen to what God's Word says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For we know that if the tent, he's talking about our earthly body, if that tent, our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Y'all ain't got an amen. I already heard you groaning. A while ago, I said, hey, let's stand to pray. And I heard, it's like the zombie apocalypse had happened in the room here today. In this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, something that's permanent. Now, look, the body's important. God made our bodies. God calls us in his word to honor God with our bodies. But these bodies simply encase the, the real us. When our physical bodies die, the soul continues to live. And that brings us to this question. So where does the soul go when it leaves the body? Now stay with me here. Focus in because if you don't, you might kind of get a little confused. After a person's departure from this world, their soul leaves their body. This is true for both the saved and the unsaved. Their souls are going to go to a temporary destination. A temporary destination. That's true for the saved and the unsaved. Let me be clear, that is not purgatory. There is no such thing. That is, that is not a concept that Scripture even in any way alludes to or points to. In that same chapter in 2 Corinthians where Paul just referred to our bodies as tents, he goes on to say this, chapter 5, verse 6. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, right? And he says, for we walk by faith. That's what you do when you're not at home with the Lord. You have to walk by faith. When you're at home with the Lord, you don't have to walk by faith anymore. You walk by sight. He says, we know we're not home with the Lord yet because we're walking by faith, not by sight. And he says again, yes, we're of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be absent, right, from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul is plainly telling us here, for those who have trusted Christ, at the moment their soul departs from this body, they are immediately in the presence of God. That place is called heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare 
that place for you. But that place is a temporary location. There's coming a day when that heaven is going to be relocated. And I'm going to tell you more about that a little bit later. But, but let me be clear again, in case anybody got lost in all of that. When a person who has trusted Christ, they've been born again, they've been saved. When their moment of departure comes, they leave this world, their soul departs from their body. That old body might be buried like a tent. It might be folded up and buried. That old body might even be cremated, right? But their soul has gone on to be in the presence of the Lord. Now for the unsaved, when they depart this world, their soul also immediately goes to a place, but the soul of that lost person doesn't go to the same place as the soul of a saved person. That person's soul goes to an entirely different location. The Bible uses a few different terms to define that place. The term that you're most familiar with would be the the word hell. There's some different ideas about this, but based on my understanding of God's word, here's how I understand it. Before Jesus came in flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again. Before that happened, people in the Old Testament days who had trusted Christ, who trusted in his coming, they trusted the promise of the Messiah was true, that one was coming that would crush the head of that serpent. For for those people, when they passed away, they went into a place called Sheol. Sheol is the, the place where the departed souls would go. Sheol was divided into two sections. There was one section of Sheol that was the place where those who did not believe the promise of a coming Messiah, they, they had spurned the grace of God. They had not been saved, you could say. They, when they went to Sheol, they entered a place called Hades or hell in that place. But for the saved, when they went to Sheol, they went to a different place within Sheol called Paradise or Abraham's bosom. When unbelieving people died, they were in one part of Sheol. Believers died, they're in another part. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus describes that part of Sheol known as Hades or hell. He describes it as a place of great suffering. Listen to Jesus, who's full of truth. And so when I say storyteller, I don't mean like fibs. I mean, he, he could just tell it. Right? So check this out. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Tell it, Jesus. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, see, there we are, his body buried, but the rich man isn't in the ground. He's in Hades. The poor man is at Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom or paradise. So the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. 
But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. I, I think this is Jesus' way of saying the rich man, and if I can throw back to last Sunday's sermon, the rich man wasn't in Hades because he was rich. He was in Hades because he preferred the gift shop over God. He preferred the riches more than God himself. But Jesus is painting us a picture here of what Sheol was like and, and really in some degree what it is like. It was the place where these souls go, those who were looking for the promise of the Savior who had not yet come. They were in that place called paradise. And those who had not been saved, they were in that place called Hades. You remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, right? And that thief on his right side began to confess to the Lord. And Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me where? In paradise, in paradise. But here's the rest of the story. When Jesus died that day, and he and the thief, they went to Sheol. They specifically went to the part of Sheol called paradise. What's he doing there? Think about this. How amazing must it have been to be those Old Testament people, to be Abraham and Isaac and Joseph, and you've been longing for this promised Messiah. And then one day there you are in paradise, minding your own business, and he shows up. He's there with that old thief by his side. And what does Jesus do while he's there? The Bible tells us that in that place, he preached. He proclaimed a message. To those who were in paradise, it was a message of salvation and celebration. To those who were in Hades, it was a message of condemnation. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, listen to this. The Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. Being This is important, watch. Being put to death in the flesh, Jesus' body died, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went, he went somewhere in the Spirit, and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Jesus went to that place and he proclaimed the truth, the message of the gospel. And then when Jesus rose on the third day, he evacuated, he emptied out that part of Sheol known as paradise. And he relocated those people to what we now call heaven. The way was made available now through the person and the finished work of Jesus through his shed blood. Jesus had said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except they come through me. Ephesians chapter four, verse eight says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Think about that. In other words, Jesus dies and he goes into Sheol, specifically he goes into paradise. Some say that he went into hell. I don't think that he went into hell. I think he had already lived through it at the cross when he bore the wrath of God for our sin. But there in that place, he's proclaiming this message in that place. And then when he later ascends into heaven, he leads those people from that place into the presence of God. Here's what this means. So today, Sheol, the place of the dead, only half of it's occupied. 
the part called Hades or hell, that's where those people still are to this day. Paradise has been relocated. Now it's in that place that we call heaven. But but let me say this, that place right now that we're calling heaven is one day going to be relocated. The current hell and the current heaven are temporary destinations at this moment. Those places are really only temporary places while we wait to stand in judgment before God. But before you stand in judgment before God, you need a body with which you're going to stand in judgment before God. And that brings us to our third word, what happens after I die? There's resurrection. I believe that the resurrection of the bodies of those who have put their faith in Christ, I believe that resurrection could happen at any moment. I preach a lot of funerals. I'm in a lot of graveyards. Might sound a little creepy, but that's what I do. And every time I'm in one of those cemeteries, I think, Jesus, now would be a really cool time. Like, hit it, hit it now, right? Like, I want to be, be at Cedar Hill or Jefferson Memorial. I want to be at one of those places when the trumpet blasts and the dead in Christ come rising up. I just want to... I just think that would be a front row seat to get to see it. I'm excited about that. And oftentimes when I'm in those places with families that are grieving, I've been there with many of you over the years. I turn to this book of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Listen to this. Paul says, we don't want you to not know what's happened to your loved ones and friends that have died. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's not talking about like, that's just their nice way in the first century of saying they passed away. He says, I want you to know what's happened to the people that have passed on, that you may not grieve like others who have no hope. He doesn't say don't grieve. He says, we just grieve different. We grieve like, hey, it's just temporary. We're going to see them again because they knew the Lord. He says, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him, I love that, with him, those who have fallen asleep. So many people that I've said goodbye to over the years when Jesus comes back, Carl Landgraf, Miss Sarah, he's coming with him, right? What a great thought. Not only, Shannon, is Jesus coming back, but your parents are coming back when Jesus comes back. He'll come back with him, those who have fallen asleep or passed away. Paul says, for this we declare to you by word from the Lord. Paul says, this isn't from an angel. This isn't from a prophet. This comes from God himself, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or passed away because the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. I think this is a war cry, actually. And the dead in Christ are gonna rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. And here's those two words again, with them. I love that. Great reunion day coming. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's the resurrection of the saved. Now, my personal belief is the resurrection of the unsaved is going to happen a thousand and seven years after the resurrection of the saved. Because I believe there's going to be seven years of tribulation. Then a thousand years that Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth. Then the unsaved will be resurrected. Now that might not necessarily be your end time understanding and your view, and I'm not going to like break fellowship with you if you see it different. I hope you don't break fellowship with me if you see it different. No matter your eschatology, I think we all agree for all of us, there is going to be a departure. 
there is going to be an arrival into an eternal destination. And then at some point, there's going to be the resurrection of our bodies. And here's what the resurrection of our bodies means. That means, Brandon, we're going to have real bodies. We're not going to be some weird, freaky, disembodied spirits floating around on clouds strumming harps. No, thank you very much. We're getting resurrected and we're going to have real bodies after the resurrection. I love what Job said in the Old Testament. He said, in my flesh, I will see God. In my flesh, I'm going to have hands to touch him with and feet to walk up to him with. In my flesh, I will see God. But that body, that resurrected body, being a real body, it is going to be different from this body that we have here. Different in this sense. It will be a body that will not wear out. It will be a body that will not decay. It will be a body that will not die. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. He says, behold, here's how we say it in the country, Jeremiah. Look at here. This is like, you know, when Meemaw says, look at here, you mean, that means you better pay attention, right? And this is Paul's way of saying, hey, pay attention. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body. Everybody just look at yourself right now. That's a perishable body. I mean, it's going to wear out. He says this perishable body must put on an imperishable, imperishable body, a body that's not going to wear out. And this mortal body, that means this body that's going to die, this mortal body must put on immortality. It must put on a body that isn't going to die. And when the perishable, that is what will wear out, puts on the imperishable, what won't wear out, and the mortal, what's going to die, puts on the immortality, that which is not going to die, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? See, death still stings us in these perishable bodies, but one day when the resurrection happens, we're going to have a body that the sting of death doesn't touch us ever again. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then after those bodies are resurrected, we're going to stand in judgment before God. That's our fourth word. We're talking about what happens after we die. Fourth word, judgment. But here's the deal. The saved and the unsaved are not going to appear at the same judgment. The saved and the unsaved are going to be at two different judgments, two different locations, two different times. For the saved, they're going to stand in judgment before Jesus at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. The ones who will be judged there are those who've trusted Christ to remove their sin and to reconcile them before God. Writing to Christians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we, he's talking about Christians, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, it's called the judgment seat of Christ because Jesus is the one there on the throne. Jesus is the one doing the judging. He tells us that in John chapter 5, that he'll be the one judging. And let me tell you, first of all, what Jesus is not going to be judging, Evan. He is not going to be judging your sin because Jesus already judged your sin at the cross when he died in your place. God's verdict in the judgment of your sin was already announced at the cross. So at the judgment seat of Christ, we are not being judged 
for our sin because Jesus has already taken that away. The judgment seat of Christ is not where our sin is judged, but where our service to God is judged. Our service to God will be judged to determine was that good service or the word Paul uses or was it evil? You say, well, I thought you said that we're not, he's not judged. He's not. I think there will be an awareness of sin. I think there will be an awareness that in my service to God, there were times that it fell short of his glory, that it, it wasn't righteously motivated. It wasn't done in the work of the spirit. It was done in the work of the flesh. I think there's going to be an awareness of that shortcoming in us. But the outcome of that judgment is not to judge sin, but to judge the service of the word. It's not that punishment for sin will be doled out. What's being evaluated is what rewards will be given out for the service that we rendered to God. At the judgment seat of Christ, Matt, Jesus is not going to be stacking up your sin. Because at the cross and through your faith in him, he's already obliterated it. At the judgment seat of Christ, he's stacking up service to God and then evaluating that to see what was done in the, in the right motivation, the right heart for the glory of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. You're going to know on Judgment Day if your work's going to last. He says, For the day, and I think he's referred to, to, to the judgment seat of Christ, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work, see, it's the work, it's the service being judged. What sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So the judgment seat of Christ, listen, church, is not about receiving punishment for sin. Jesus already received every drop of your punishment for sin. The judgment seat of Christ is about receiving rewards for what we've done for Christ. Now, you're, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Joel, I don't really care about the rewards. I mean, I'm just glad to be in heaven. I mean, I'm just glad to be there. And so I don't really need any rewards. Well, I think that's probably coming from a good place in your heart, but um, you're missing the point. The rewards that Jesus gives to us for our service to him, that's the way we get to say thank you to him. That's the way that we get to honor him and to worship him. I love this imagery in Revelation chapter 4. The elders are around the throne of God and they've been rewarded for different things that they did for the glory of Christ. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, they take their crowns and they lay them at the feet of Jesus. And then they say this, verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's how they got to say thank you to Jesus. Here is why your service to God matters. Here is why I don't want to just get to heaven with, with no rewards. Here's why. Because I'm going to get to bow down one time for the first time and say thank you to Jesus. And when my time comes that I get to bow down for the first time to say thank you to Jesus, Chuck, I don't want my thank you to be tiny. I want it to be tremendous. 
I, I want to have served him in such a way in this life that they're having to back up the trucks that they're having to call the angels in to unload my rewards for what I did for Christ in this lifetime. Not so people will look at me and boast at me, but so I get to put them all at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I knew this moment would come. I knew I would get one time to bow down to you for the first time. And I wanted my thank you to be big because you're big and you created me and you made me and you saved me. And I'm here all because of you. And all this was because of you. And it's all about you now. And I just want to say thank you. So am I content just to get to heaven? I am thankful to get to heaven, but I am not content just to get to heaven. There better be some trucks. So, Don, we ain't resting, man, right? We're going to run through the tape by the grace of God. Let's do that. Bringing Jesus as much applause on that day, bringing him as much glory on that day as we can, that ought to be our deepest devotion. That ought to be our greatest desire, our strongest motivation. Now, those who don't put their faith in Christ, they're also going to experience a judgment day. But it's at a different place. It's at a different time. It even has a different name. It's called the, the Great White Throne Judgment. See, at the judgment seat of Christ, Savannah, those of us who know Jesus, we're going to get eternal rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. But at the Great White Throne Judgment, Joshua, they're going to get eternal wrath. That's the big difference between these two places. Unlike the saved, the unsaved are going to stand before God with all their sins still stacked up. And that's what's going to be judged. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. They passed on the gift of God. They still stand condemned. And this will be the scene at that judgment. Listen, Revelation chapter 20. John says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his, you get the idea here, this is no place you want to be. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. That means the powerful, the weak, the rich, the poor, people of every kind are going to be at that great white throne judgment. And they're standing there before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades. Remember, right now there's people in Hades, a.k.a. hell. But I told you it's a temporary destination. Verse 13 says, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible clearly teaches that those who are in this place called hell right now, they'll be resurrected, they'll stand at the great white throne judgment, and then they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. And all of this is going to culminate into two very different, two very different eternal realities. The saved are going to enter into a place of eternal restoration. Eternal restoration. The old heaven, the old earth, going to pass away and God's going to make all things new. As it was in the beginning, so it's going to be on that day. God and man in fellowship again together. 
Heaven and earth will come together as one. Listen to the next chapter of Revelation, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. It's being relocated. I told you where people are now in heaven, that's a temporary location. It's going to be moved. And here's being described in Revelation 21. It's coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I've had a lot of weddings lately. I was at a wedding last night. I've stood there and watched a lot of brides walk down the aisle, and they're always stunning and always beautiful. And God says, that's how this place that Jesus has been preparing for 2,000 years. That bride yesterday, she made herself up for six hours. Jesus has been preparing this place for 2,000 years, and it's coming down the aisle. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He didn't say the dwelling place of man is with God. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Hey, our story is not going to end with us floating around on clouds. That's not how it's going to end. It's going to end just like it started. God with man on earth, real bodies, a real earth. God's plan, see, has always been the same. Not to take us to live in a heavenly realm that's created for him, but for him to come and to live with us in an earthly realm for which we've been created. But for the unsaved, it's a simple and horrific reality they will go to the lake of fire while we experience eternal restoration they will experience eternal condemnation no more grace no more salvation offered you do not want to be in that place and you will be if you're here today and you've never bowed your knee and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, that's going to be your eternal destination. But today, if you'd put your faith in Christ, He'll change your life on this planet. He'll change your eternity. I know it sounds too good to be true. It's true. It's one of the reasons I know it came from God. Because if man was just trying to make up a religion, we'd make it believable. The truth of how good God is just is hard to believe. If you'll trust Christ today, move your allegiance from man to the Messiah. You can be saved. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ. If you're here today and you're still in Adam, you're condemned. You, you, you may be saying, well, I don't, I don't want to be in Adam or in Christ. I'm, I'm my own person. Fine. Romans 8.1. Those who are in Christ aren't condemned. You're not in Christ. You're condemned. The only way to be saved is to be in Christ. Your departure time is closer now than it was when I started this sermon. You're an aneurysm bursting away, trumpet blast away.
from departing this world. We're all one heartbeat away. And I know what happens when people die. Now you do too. The question is, where are you going? James says this life is just a vapor. Poof, gone. Do you know where you're going today? If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, would you do that today? I I know you don't attend as many funerals as I do. I, I know you probably think it's further away than you think. I don't have the luxury to live like that. It's it's almost every day. You're an aneurysm breaking, trumpet blast blowing away from it being your time. Are you ready? And if you are ready, are you loading the trucks? If your eternity is nailed down because of Jesus, then what are you doing for Jesus in the here and now? Are you loading the trucks? If not, why not? Let's go. God, we bow our hearts before you today. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here that's never given their life to you, Jesus, that today they would. That they would turn from self and sin and embrace you, Jesus, alone to make them right with God. And God, I pray for your church in this place today, your people, that we wouldn't be content just to know that we're saved, but that, God, we would want to bring as much glory to your throne when we get that first time to bow down to say thank you. God, we're grateful today for the truth that when we breathe our last breath in this world, we will breathe our first in heaven. I pray every person knows that, has that confidence and that hope today. In Jesus' name. And let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. I'm going to be right here. If you need to give Jesus your life today, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to help you do that. of us just need to think about when I get my first time to bow down what I want that moment to be like when I take my first breath in that place what do I want to have brought with me on that day